Okay, go for it. Hello, Brother Morris. Hey. Thank you so much right. for uh, shedding so much light on the truth. Now, um, all throughout Hebrews, it's very clear that uh, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of Father God. Now, a uh, question here is probably a bit of a doctrinal thing. We also know that God is omniscient, omnipresent, and uh, all-knowing. Now, uh, we also have uh, anecdotal evidence or accounts of Jesus appearing, uh, especially in persecuted countries like Iran, China, and several other countries that people have had encounters uh, with Jesus, visitations, dreams. So how do we reconcile this? Is it with the Holy Spirit or is it with Jesus being omnipresent? Um, I know it's probably not quite what you have uh, been preaching so far, but I think this is probably, uh, to me personally, perhaps to others, um, a question that needs a bit of uh, light. Shed some light on that, brother. Thank you. Okay. And when it comes to dreams and visions, you have them in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, quite frequently. It always has to do <laughs> with direction or the need of salvation, with Cornelius uh, and the angel appearing to him. Uh, at the same time, Peter is up on the roof and he sees a vision of uh, animals let down in a sheet. Um, you, ha you have uh, <coughs> Peter in prison when it's all locked up and he thought he was having a dream, but it was reality. Uh, so you have the intrusion of the unseen world into the seen world. And angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister. So we have no problem with that kind of visitation. Your question, I think, is about the visitation of Jesus. Yes, yeah. that's correct. That's yep. what it was interesting. We were in Israel and we were working in a, a place as workers and uh, I asked the cook, and we asked the cook, it was another fellow, how did you come to be, he was a Jew, came from an Orthodox family, how, how did you come to be a believer? He said, I met him. I met him. All right. And we had a, a lady who, remember, what's her name? She was walking past, she'd come to the Lord. And she was uh, walking past these young people. And they're saying, God doesn't exist. She said, he does. I met him. <laughs> this is here in Australia, all right? That was, uh, what's the name? His husband got bitten by the red-backed spider. Remember that? <coughs> when it comes to, I thought you were going to ask a much more difficult question. <laughs> Once coming which soon. probably will still come. <laughs> so when you come to these kind of things, most of the dreams and visions, as I understand them, are directed to leading them to get a Bible or leading them to someone who will direct them to a church or leading them to someone who will tell them about the Lord Jesus. Generally, it's not the gospel preached by the vision or dream they see. It is direction taken over the life 
ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will be heirs of salvation. So the angels do not carry the message. In fact, the Bible says the angels long to look into these things. It is our responsibility to carry the message. So I think in most of the instances in Iran, I'm not sure of China. we have, we have a lot of Fijians, or have been, had a lot of Fijians in China. They have had real experiences of what it's like to be under surveillance all the time and pressure, all that kind of thing. And I understand that God does things for those who are suffering. The reason Paul went to heaven, whether in the body or out, he said, I don't know. I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. I think it is comforting when you are going to suffer, God leaves you encouragement. And I think that's why it so often happens to believers who are suffering, that kind of experience. It's a very broad (laughs) answer. Morris, the Bible tells us that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Yesterday you mentioned the gap theory. I don't know a lot about it, but it seems to me that the gap theory is a ploy of Satan to leaven the whole lump of the authority of Scripture. Can you explain the gap theory, please? All right, I'll give you a history lesson. Right back in near the beginning of the 1800s, there was a reverend in Scotland called Thomas Chalmers. He was a good man. Uh, Horatius Bonner, Murray McShane, um, the other Bonner, godly men brought up under his ministry and uh, greatly respected him. But he introduced, he introduced the possibility of something happening before Adam and Eve were created. He introduced that thinking in then. That's what he did. He had no clear uh, outline gap theory like we hear today, but he, ha- he introduced, he's known, Thomas Chalmers, that's where it started. Now he introduced that nearly beginning of the 1800s, a man called Charles Lyell. All right. Next one will be Charles Darwin. This one is Charles Lyell. Charles Lyell was, uh, had a determined purpose in what he did. He wrote a book called Principles of Geology, which is studied today in every university. Now, when he wrote that book, he never put it in the book, but he wrote a letter to one of his friends, and he said, My aim is to take Moses out of geology. That's the stated aim. I can't give you the exact words of Darwin, but Darwin penned prophetically in his own book, The Origin of the Species, because he had questions. I'm not going through his questions, but he made a statement. And he said, (coughs) For a layman... He must understand, layman is not the one trained in a, a, a university or something. A layman must understand that there are vast ages to the world we are living in. Charles Lyell's book openly demonstrates this. 
and, 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 and uh, Darwin said, this will change the history of science from this point on. And he said, if you won't accept vast periods of time, put my book down. The attack today is time. When you do the gap theory, for instance, it's in my Bible, my NIV, but there's no gap theory mentioned or no. The only basis you've got <coughs> is this. When you're going through Genesis 1, this is what you read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. To us, it means that's what it was. But against the word was here is a little letter A. At the bottom of the page, possibly became means it wasn't like this. It had a previous existence. It became like this. And since it became like this, there was a reconstruction, a recreation took place, and that is Genesis 1-2 to Genesis 1-31. And the explanation is, in dateless past, which you'll get in Schofield, you'll get it in Jimmy Swaggart, you'll get it in a whole lot of other areas of books, in the dateless past, there was a creation. Lucifer sinned. It's called the Luciferian flood. That world was destroyed and everything in it. And so God had to reconstruct because that happened. So there is a gap between Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is one creation. You start in Genesis 2, and the earth became waste and an extreme translation which you get in some Bibles, the earth became waste and desolate. They use two words, tohu and bohu, out of uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and they say, see, those words are used for destruction, so it must have been. You can't, you can't pull two words out and justify something like that. The literal words, and an amazing a man wrote a book, a Presbyterian, very good man, and he said, unformed and unfilled. That's how God created the earth. Unformed and unfilled. What he did is he formed it and he filled it. <laughs> that, that thing. The, the, the um, problem lies here. Once you accept <coughs> this theory, as it's called, you allow for geology to be true because they have millions of years it's all death, all the fossil record is death. So you have death and destruction and disease all before, and you've got weeds and all that kind of thing, before Adam and Eve. Do you see any problem? When did death enter into this world? When Adam sinned. Romans 5.12, by one man sin entered this world, and that's Adam, and death by sin. You cannot put death before Adam's sin, which is Genesis 3. You go through Genesis 1 and there is no indication of sin's entrance or its effects. God saw everything and it was very good. <coughs> and so the diet of everything, there is no bloodshed. So the dinosaur is not eating meat. The lion is not eating meat. Vegetation was the food of every animal. So you have a perfectly functioning world. And sin has not entered. You lose that and you don't need the cross. Why? Because there must be an answer to death. 
and we have no reason for death in this world except we have a record of a garden and the action of a man and a woman in regard to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by their action, sin entered. I sat with a woman on a plane to Vanuatu. I don't generally talk to women, but there was this, you know, we're three seats and there's nothing between. So I said, hello. She's friendly enough. She said, hello. So we talked and said, why are you going? And she had a friend who was working the paramedics down at just below the college where we are. Why are you going? That's to me. And I thought, oh, here he goes. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, all right? So I, I explained. She said, I disagree with you. I have two degrees. She said, my husband is a theologian. And uh, I disagree with you. So I discussed a bit of scientific evidence and she listened. thought, how, how do I get to this woman? I said, <coughs> what's your explanation of death? How did it get here? It's always been here. It's natural. All right? Mother Nature. All right? Do you get the thought of Mother Nature? There is no... Death is just natural. Survival of the fittest, everything unfit dies off. You, you get this from Darwin's book. All right? So how we think about beginnings and the failure started in the church to affect the church with the entry of <coughs> the gap theory. Now, since I travel through Bible colleges all the time, and I used to be, uh, know what was in the ICI, International Correspondence Institute course on Genesis, what happens in a Bible college? It's called smorgasbord. You know what smorgasbord is? <laughs> you, you've been to, uh, what's it called? You can go and get what you want, all right? And it's set out. You'll get five things you can choose. It could be theistic evolution, which she believed in. <coughs> you can get geological ages. So we got geological ages, so each day was a geological age. Millions of years, you accommodate like that. Or you get uh, the gap theory. Or you get what is introduced and mostly held to now <coughs> by a man called Hugh Ross. He's a Catholic, he's astrophysicist, and he has what's, got co what's called progressive creation. Many evangelicals hold to his now. And that simply teaches this. There are millions of years and God progressively created over those millions of years and there was death over those millions of years operating. And he's huh? still creating. And he's still creating, yeah. So you've got a smorgasbord. Very, very few Bible colleges today hold and teach a literal six-day creation. And those who did often have compromised now. It's already starting in Fiji, where I was. Because I have uh, Ralph Dunn, who's an excellent pastor, speaks on, Fiji, speaks on the TV, very good teacher, one of our students. He's a Fijian, Coloma mixture. <laughs> All right? <laughs> he goes to teach in the Bible College and he detected by the questions of the students, there must be a lecturer in that college now that is communicating millions of years, that kind of thing. Once you allow that in, you've lost your foundations for everything. It's the downward slide, the slippery end is there. Thank you. Okay, anyone else?
how does how does Dake play into the gap theory? How does was his reasoning to enter into the debate was to counteract evolution? Dake's yeah, Dake's Bible. No, his yeah. Anyone who stepped into the gap theory was to accommodate millions of years so that we have no conflict with the science world. Basically, that is it. Uh, science is the authority today. True? Well, science called science. Evolution is not science. It has nothing to do with observable, testable. I'll give you the words of a prominent evolutionist, Sir Arthur Keith. Evolution is unproved and unprovable. The only alternative is special creation and that is unthinkable. You can hear da Dawkins, you can hear, these are, he's an old man, older man, these are the younger Dawkins and these men you get, they're just resonating, resonating those kind of men now but putting it more in words. Oh, what Dawkins said with the cardinal, with the Catholic fellow. Oh yeah, this, this was very interesting. This Catholic cardinal, I think it was, was having a debate with Dawkins. It was very interesting. And the charge against the church, he had been Catholic, and it's your church, Catholic church, he says, uh, your, your young people don't know their Bible. He said, I ask them questions. They can't answer them. This is the, uh, um, Dawkins. And he kept on like this. And finally the cardinal said to him, uh, Mr Dawkins, I have a question. Did Darwin write a book? He said, yes, he did. The Origin of Species. He said, Mr Dawkins, what's the subtitle to that book? He said, uh, I can't remember. This is in public, how public. My God, I've forgotten. And the whole audience burst into laughter. Here's an atheist saying, my God, I've forgotten. I thought that was Joyce. She was a cat of cardinal. Oh, dear. My question is, um, the sons of God and the daughters of men, the Nephilim, can you explain that? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is controversial, very. And the reason is I, I operate with Creation Ministries and their staff. Um, numbers of them now, um, a lot of them, do not hold to the fact that those sons of God were actual men. They interpret it as fallen angels. And I've read their accounts, I've discussed it with them. I disagree. <coughs> uh, Jonathan Safati is a Jew, brilliant in Hebrew, brilliant with creation, very strong. But he, he has clearly taught in his book that they are fallen angels. And based a lot of, some of it, or a lot of it is based on the book of Enoch, but he bases it on Hebrew and, and the wording. Now the reason I disagree is there is a principle which I cannot leave. If we mention a scripture, we must put that scripture in its context. 
So if I take Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, sons of God saw the daughters of men, they were fair, beautiful, took wives of all which they chose. If I take it there, I put it in its context, before that is Genesis 5. Before Genesis 5 is Genesis 4. So what I do, I do it diagrammatically on the board. So I take Genesis 4 and I start with Adam, Cain, and I do the names listed down to Lamech. Seven generations. At Lamech, of course, you divide because he had two wives, uh, Ada and Zillah. Then you have the sons born, but you have a sister of Tuvukain called Neymar. Now, one of the things noticeable before the flood is you can only name four women. Who are they? Give me them in order. Who are the women? Before the flood, means you were back before Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8. Who were the women named before the flood? Eve. So we've got Eve. Now, who is she? Well, Adam prophetically said, her name is Eve because she will become the mother of all living, which wipes out any, any previous generations. All right? So you've got Eve. Who else have you got? Ada and Zillah. I'm not going to through the truth from their names. So you've got two women who were the two wives of Lamech. But then you've got this uh, sister of Tubal-Cain called Neymar. Now if she is the sister of Tubal-Cain, she is the daughter of Lamech, means she's the daughter of a man. I've changed the sense. She's sister to Tubal-Cain. That's how the Bible got it. But I'm saying she is the daughter of Lamech, a man. Her name means beautiful. Her name does. Beautiful or fair. So <coughs> you have this in the seventh generation. Fifth chapter, you start with Adam. You come down. Abel's killed. Seth, and you go right down to the seventh generation. Who lives in the seventh generation? Enoch. Enoch is in the seventh generation. Now Enoch lived for 65 years, evidently with no relationship with God. <coughs> he had a crisis in his own life, and I won't go through it, but he had a crisis in his own life, and he walked with God from that day for 300 years he walked with God. But that is the seventh generation, same as Lamech. When you get to Genesis 6, verse 1, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, it must have started somewhere. There must have been a first one. True? And I submit the first one Enoch saw. He saw. That's why Namah's name is there. He saw a son of God take a daughter of man. First one. And th I find that in these contexts, they have not gone into it. And they've changed the context. When you're going through, it's very clear. <coughs> it says, The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, beautiful. And they took wives of all which they chose. Now, there's nothing immoral as far as sexual sin is concerned. It's, it's not even mentioned. You can't put anything there. It just says they saw the daughters of men and they took wives of all which they chose. Their choice was on beauty. That was their choice. Beware, you young men, who you get. Don't go on beauty. The reason is it fades and as you get older, it doesn't beautiful anymore. And neither, <laughs> are, and neither is the man. He's lost the thatching and he's lost his teeth. 
the facts of life are there, all right? But the choice, the basis of choice is given, all right? So Enoch saw it. And so when he saw it, in Jude it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Now it's emphasizing he is the seventh. Now, there's two reasons. Enoch was in the other line, the third man, third generation. It just, but there's a bigger reason. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, puts him at the same time as Lamech with the daughter Neymar. So if I take the comment of the New Testament and I go back, it's focusing me on the seventh generation where Enoch is. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Lord's coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all that live ungodly, to convince them of all their ungodly acts, their ungodly things, etc. So Enoch became a prophet to his own generation. And if you're studying Enoch, it's amazing because it says, by faith Enoch was translated so he did not see death. And so we say, well, he didn't become an old man and he didn't die. That's why he did it. No, no. It tells you in Hebrews 11, he was not found. They were looking for him. Why are they looking for a prophet? The history of your prophets is the Old Testament. They killed them off. God took him. And at an age in which we would say today, if he was in our generation, he'd be about 30 years old, 29, 30 years old, according to our age, to older people, because they go to 900, 910 back there. So he's a young man. God took him so he would not see death because they were going to kill him. I can go into a lot more. There's a, a massive wealth of, of uh, other scriptures that make me reject it. One, spirits are spirits. And I have said this to them from Matthew 22. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. They said, the angels in heaven don't do it, but the fallen demons can. Said, And Jesus said, you're ignorant of the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Do demons have access into heaven? Does the devil have access into heaven? Yes. Yes. Night and day, He's accusing. He called the accuser of the brethren. He was cast out of heaven in Revelation 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The devil's come down to you. He has great anger. He knows he's only got a short time. And he goes to kill the woman who gave birth to the man child, which is Israel. That's what he does when he's cast out of heaven. He's still there. He's still the accuser of the brethren. We are, how do you overcome the devil? He'll charge. This one can't go in. Look at the sin they've done. How, are you going to, how, how does God rebuke the devil? What are the grounds of rebuking? What's on the mercy seat? The blood. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What about that blood? Shed for my sin. God will say, this blood was shed for that person's sin. You can't, the charge doesn't stand against them. Can't stand. <coughs> who shall lay anything to the charge of God elect? God's elect? It's God who justifies. All right? So when you, when you come to this area, you've got the problem of fallen spirits, evil spirits like that. Here, 
and it did not hit me till numbers of years later after I was thinking it through. It is very serious. And this is the serious thing we have to do. Two things. One, the incarnation, meaning Christ manifest, created, made, in the womb of a virgin, is not a miracle. If spirits in Genesis 6 can have children by women who are virgins, there's no indication of sexual immorality. They married them. If spirits can do that in Genesis 6 and just produce children, the incarnation is not a miracle. But the Bible tells me it is the greatest mystery in this world. And I did not realize the seriousness of when we just deviate a bit what you do in destroying power. Remember what Chalmers did right back? I mentioned it with you. Chalmers just introduced, he was a very good teacher, very good, but just that introduction allowed the entry in. So when I read that, I am troubled. The other thing is this. When God lays a foundation in the Old Testament of truth, he will build on that foundation through the rest of Scripture. Genesis is the seed plot, particularly the first 11 chapters, for the whole of the rest of the Bible. So tell me, do you teach your young people it is wrong to marry an unbeliever? Because the foundation is back there. If I believe the sons of God were men, young men, and they did this, that caused the departure, the mixing of the godly with the ungodly brought about the final destruction, which, which Enoch saw. If you do this, you mix, there are going to be consequences. What do we think of the Laodicean church? Is it a mixture? Will God do to the Laodicean church what he did to Israel? Because he said to Israel, if you do what these nations do, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And it's his exact words to the Laodicean church. You have mixed. Hot and cold. It's a mixture. He said, I'll vomit you out. What he says to the church, he said to Israel. Israel is our example of what we're not to do. Is that clear? I could go on for a long time. <laughs> All right. It's very important. No, I've got to stop. <laughs> Let me say in closing, I've got one more session with you. When the man from Ballarat got up here, we totally agree with what he said. We do, us two. To us, coming here is a refreshing. There is a unity of spirit, of worship, and it is very refreshing. It, to us, it is very good. If we come down again, it may not be to minister. We'll just come down to have fellowship. <laughs> someone else, you can get someone else to speak. But the fellowship, we really enjoy. Let me say that. We deeply appreciate it. <laughs>